0: Good morning. On August 23rd, I was here last to preach, and we talked together about certain truths in uncertain times from Isaiah 41. Today we're focusing on that same first word, certain, in this series, finding tranquility in troubled waters. Before we go there, I wanna ask you, do you remember that I gave you assignment back then? In honor of schools reopening, I gave you an assignment. You remember that? Anybody remember what it was? Memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Okay, now, everybody in the house, this is a test. I want everybody in the room, raise your hand right now. Just for everybody, right now, right hand. Raise your hand, please. Good, thank you very much. I just wanna make sure it works. I'm gonna ask now, how many of you memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Fantastic. Nine of you. That's more than last service. That's great. Okay. Now, put it up on screen. Here's the test. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Let's say it together. Okay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and he will make your paths straight. One more time, just to kind of cement it in there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. That's great. Okay, that was the cram before the quiz. Now, all nine of you, loud and proud, let's say it together from memory. And if you didn't raise your hand and you know it, you join with us, okay? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Words to live by. Words to build a marriage on. Those are the words that were the foundation and the life verses for Marilyn and I when we were dating and have been so ever since. Now, we talked about certain truths. Now we're talking about Finding tranquility. Now, by the way, good job on that for all nine of you. Uh, And there are no assignments today. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. I'm pretty sure you have. In this life, there is nothing certain but death and taxes. I'm always curious, where did that line or those kinds of lines come from? It actually originated in a play, a stage play in England in 1716. It has been wrongly attributed to Mark Twain, who himself said a lot of witty things, but it's never been recorded that he said it. Benjamin Franklin quoted it, but I love what Will Rogers did. He kind of put an interesting twist on it. He suggested the only difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. There's something to think about there. Certain is something we know for sure. The Bible is filled with awesome promises from God. No matter which translation you have, the numbers may vary a bit, but in the English translations of the Bible, probably over 750 times in your translation, you'll find the word certain. Certain. In Moses' day, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. They helped build the pyramids and all of that. They were delivered by God across the Red Sea miraculously into the wilderness on their way to the promised land around the east side of the Jordan and the Dead Sea. When they got to the edge of Jordan, God sent the spies in, and the people came back, and they believed the negative report instead of the positive report. And so they decided they would not go. So God made them to wander aimlessly, For 40 years, a generation, all but two of them, Joshua Joshua and Caleb, Moses, all died, a whole generation, and now it's the next generation. They haven't heard the law given by Moses from Mount Sinai. And so, God says, I'm going to give it to the next generation, and that's found in the fifth book of the Bible, fifth book of Moses, called Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second law. I'll tell you what Deuteronomy is. It's actually a collection of three long sermons, very long sermons, that Moses preached, and then he died. That ought to be fair warning to any preacher. Three long sermons, done. Now, if you read those, you'll find encouragement. And I want to give you just four lines from different verses in that book addressed To the next generation deuteronomy 4 39 here we go so today be certain and keep the knowledge deep in your hearts that the lord is god in heaven on high and here on earth there is no other gods next verse from chapter nine or chapter seven be certain then that the lord your god is god whose faith and mercy are unchanging who keeps his word through a thousand generations, that's us too, to those who have love for him and keep his laws. Chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. And it is certain that if any time you are turned away from the Lord your God and go after other gods to be their servants, to give them worship, destruction will overtake you. And the last one, Deuteronomy 15, only be certain that to obey the voice of the Lord your God, carefully observe these commands that I'm commanding you today. Certain. But for a lot of people, life is terribly uncertain, and the circumstances we find ourselves in now, terribly uncertain. For a lot of people, dreams unfilled, expectations unmet, hopes dashed, many people have no grand purpose or meaning or life goal. Others may have a goal, but it's the wrong one, and it turns out that it's perhaps meaningless at the end. It's kind of like the guy who, who was working and struggling so hard, climbing the ladder of success, finally got to the top and found it was leaning against the wrong building. Emptiness. Spent in the wrong effort. People pursue pleasure, power, possessions. But I want to tell you today, far more important than any or all of those together is purpose. Purpose. Really? Why? Proverbs 21, verse 17. Look at this. You're addicted to thrills? How sad. What an empty life. Why? Because the pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied that's worth thinking about others spend a lifetime accumulating wealth nothing wrong with that at all and yes saving and stewardship are important for you and for your children and for your grandchildren to learn them early and to practice them diligently and to practice good things regarding money but remember Having more to live with is nothing compared to having more to live for. I recently read, the two greatest days of a person's life is the day they're born and the day they find out why. In the Corinthian letter, actually in verse 21, whoever, the two greatest days are like this. Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Think about it. There are a lot of people that are pursuing life and prosperity and honor. They would give anything to live longer. I visited with a couple of dear friends of mine just yesterday, and she has found out she has cancer, very limited time. Pursue life and pursue prosperity and pursue honor. It doesn't work. But if you pursue righteousness and love, you will get prosperity, life, and honor. That's an interesting irony. Matthew 6.33 reminds us in different words the same thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Okay, let's get into the heart of the message. That's all introduction, free stuff. Here we go. Turn to Matthew Want you to open your bible to matthew chapter 14 bible or bible app matthew 14 verse 22 we're going to follow along in these verses and this is an interesting true account matthew 14 beginning at verse 22 immediately jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd after he had dismissed them he went up on a mountain by himself to pray and when evening came He was there alone. In studying this for this message, I ran across a single word that was a simple word, a single word, and it stood out to me like it hadn't before. Notice this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on. He made them get in. It. It's kind of like Jesus saying, okay, guys, get in the boat, and then shoves it off on the Lake of Galilee. Now, why did he have to make them do it? Jesus has just come off of feeding 5,000 men plus women, kids, and grandkids. Uh, when our daughters were growing up, they ate. But I'm watching our grandkids eat. 5,000 bread and fish Jesus fed plus the women, kids, kids. Wow. Not only was Jesus tired, but the disciples were tired. Can you imagine handing out all those baskets of food over and over and over and over all afternoon? They're tired. Jesus said, get in the boat and row over to the other side. At its widest point, probably not far from here, Jesus sent them over to Gennesaret, so it's near the widest part of the Lake of Galilee, eight miles. No motor, no sail, row, paddle. I don't think if Jesus had asked for volunteers, any one of them would have raised their hands. It would have been hard to raise your hands after basket out all those baskets all day long. So when he asked them to go, he made them to go on ahead to the other side. They weren't taking a sightseeing cruise. Not only is it hard work to row eight miles across the water, But the Sea of Galilee is known for storms of the violent variety. In a moment, when I say, we're going to show you a little clip, and I want you to watch for that. Of course, I I don't know what what all of you were doing on the morning of the 3rd of March, or the 12th of March this year. But I know what Marilyn and I and 38 other friends, including a number of you, were doing. It was a beautiful, sunshiny morning. There was rain predicted for later, but it didn't happen until after supper. Beautiful sunshiny morning. We all walked down the dock from our hotel right by the Lake of Galilee and eagerly got onto Daniel Carmel's boat. I sailed with Daniel many times on the Sea of Galilee. He's a great on the Sea of Galilee, he's a great guy. He's a Christian man. We were eager, we were excited. We're going to be on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to take a boat ride out where Jesus was, where Jesus walked. We got on the boat, took off, had some worship time with songs in English and Hebrew. Some wonderful music, great singing. We prayed, read this scripture. And then we just kind of sat back and watched all around the Sea of Galilee as you saw the events, locations where Jesus had done so many things written in the Gospels. Everybody enjoyed it. Then after a great day of sightseeing in the lower Galilee, went back to the hotel and had dinner, retired to our rooms for the night. And all of a sudden we started hearing this noise, this loud whistling, this roar, and it was wind that was whipping through the, the around the, the outer part of the, of the glass storm door or, or glass patio doors on our balconies of the hotel. And it was raining. And it was raining hard. And I looked out the window down from our eighth floor on the, on the hotel. And I said, wow, look at those waves. And Marilyn actually pointed it out to me. She's more alert than I am. She pointed that out. I said, wow. And I just booted out of the room and went down. No, I wanted to get down on ground level. I'll tell you what, the waves were kicking up 15 feet on the, on the stone, like a boardwalk, was stone. And, a, and that wall was probably not much farther than from the front to the back of this worship center, this room, crashing against those boulders. Boats were rocking at anchor. The Sea of Galilee was erupting like I had never seen. I took pictures, I took videos, none of them came out. So disappointed. So I decided to Google, and Google I did, and I found a 12-second clip that was taken by somebody who had to be standing real close to where a bunch of us were standing at the wall of the hotel. I mean, it's like the view I was seeing. 12-second clip, they sent it to Israel News. You'll notice when it comes up, don't pay a lot of attention to the date stamp, but it says 12-3, 12th day, third month, same day, same night, same storm. Watch on screen. Roll that if you would, please. The Kinneret is the local's term and name for the Sea of Galilee. A that water rolled up to the bottom of the wall of the hotel. It was amazing. I was breathless. And, of course, my mind took me to Matthew 14. So now let's get back to our boys of the boat. Jesus made them get in, get out of here, shove the boat away, and then he strolls up to the mountainside to have some quality time with the Father. He decided that the disciples needed to learn a lesson in personal faith themselves. That's why he made them get in the boat knowing what was coming. Verse says, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So here are these 12 guys. My guess is that they're in the size of a boat that was actually excavated several years ago from the Sea of Galilee. The measurement of that boat is 27 feet by seven and a half feet wide. 12 guys, they're in a contrary wind, blowing them the opposite way they're rowing. Can you imagine what they're thinking to each other? Think of yourself out there. Couldn't this have waited till tomorrow? Yeah. Why are we out here? I don't know. Where's Jesus? Haven't seen him. Keep rowing, guys. Keep rowing, guys. It says that during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. They're struggling against this contrary wind until the fourth watch. You know when that is? Between 3 and 6 a.m. So if he sent them out there in the afternoon, and if it's the last of the watch, could have been out there struggling for 12 hours, doing just what Jesus told them to do. They're struggling against this contrary wind. They actually could have been there for a long time. They kept rowing and wondering. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they didn't know who it was. They didn't know what it was. They were terrified, and they cried out, "It's a ghost!" Whew. Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage." it is i don't be afraid it is i can equally be translated i am don't be afraid i am that sounds familiar doesn't it go back to the book of exodus chapter 3 god wants to release his children from slavery in egypt and he sends moses who of late had become a sheep herder in midian and he grew, was being sent back to where he grew up in Egypt to deliver his people to address Pharaoh and call for the liberation of all the slaves. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? Who am I representing? What shall I tell them? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. I am the God of the universe. I am the Lord of the seas, and Jesus says, take courage, I am. I want you to think about that when you're uncertain. I want you to think about that when you're struggling, when you're terrified. But that's life today, isn't it? We're all in the boat. Some of you are working the same monotonous job every day, living the dream Things are uncertain. The ship is threatened. Our journey is interrupted. We're rowing. We've got a goal, yet the wind pushes against us. The waves weary us, and the storm slows us to a crawl. We're tired, just trying to get to the other side, reach our destination. We're in the middle of it all, and we just may feel all alone. None of us anticipated having back problems or dealing with cancer None of us dreamed of living paycheck to paycheck. We didn't anticipate the layoffs during COVID. We didn't anticipate 14-day home quarantine. CV19 was not on our calendar. A change in ministers was not what we planned. But we know that with God, there are no coincidences and no accidents. Listen to Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. He will make your paths straight. Deep down, we know God is in control. Deep down, we know He placed us here. He provided for our job. He gave you your spouse or your singleness. He provided you your health such as it is. He determines our steps. He directs what happens. He is sovereign, and He loves you. Incredibly, we sang about that today. But now comes a unique situation, a storm. A storm in the midst of your life, in the midst of your night. And so, your question is, how do we get to the other side? Three points here. Three things to hang on to, to write down, to remember. First of all, keep paddling. Keep paddling. Don't give up. Don't drop out. It was the fourth watch. The guys were running out of juice, doing just what Jesus had told them to do, but still they did it. Don't give up, students. Don't give up, husbands. Don't give up, wives. Don't just give up, work, colleagues. Don't give up, retirees. God has called us all, whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The day to day. Everybody can, can get to be hard. It can be tough. as a powerful wind plowing against us, but keep plugging away. Don't you quit. When you say, Dave, what do I do when I'm exhausted? There are so many verses to think of. The one that crossed my mind as I prepared this is Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now back to the lake. Guys are stuck in neutral as Jesus comes down from Prayer Mountain and goes calmly walking out to sea, maybe walking steadily, calmly, three, maybe four miles on the water. And he approaches them. They're struggling They're weary, getting nowhere, and getting there fast. They are terrified at the entity that approaches them. It's a ghost. Second thing to remember, keep listening. Jesus isn't there to scare his guys. He's not laughing at them. He's not taunting them. He reads their mind, their heart, their thoughts, and he replies, take courage, I am. Hold on to that. I am. Now, you didn't plan to be where you are today. You may have been spinning your wheels for a long time, frustrated as all get out. In the midst of this, Jesus comes to you and says, I am. Same one that liberated the Israelites, same one that walked on water. He's still in charge. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to walk away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. Nobody beside Jesus had ever walked on water. But on this night of nights, in this storm of storms, enters Peter. Yes, Pete the one who likes to throw himself into every situation, hands-on, experience it all, i got to do it. The rest of the men are content to stay put in the boat, but not him. You know Peter, he wants a piece of the action. Remember, it's still storming. Ask yourself, can you imagine saying what he said, asking what he asked? Come on, can you really see yourself saying it? Really. Would you have actually asked this entity on the water, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. But you got to give Peter some credit. He didn't just jump in. He didn't just assume because Jesus could do it, he could do it. He asked for a word. He asked for a specific word, an invitation to do so. This is important. At worst, it would have been arrogant for him to try At least it would have been ignorant for Peter to jump into that wild water without a word from Jesus, because the Bible teaches that the faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And that's exactly what Peter was asking for, a word from the Lord. Bid me come to you. So, he seeks that promise. What about the other disciples? Were they lazy? Why didn't they ask the same thing? I don't know, but I do know people are different. Not everybody's the same temperament or personality. So Peter asked what Peter asked. So he did. I like Peter. I think more of us ought to be like Peter, asking God for the ability to do unbelievable, impossible things. Too many of us are afraid of going down. So we sit in our boat. We're secure knowing Jesus is here. All the disciples found comfort. I am was now with them. Peter takes it a step further. Ask God to help us go a step beyond, deeper than I've ever been. When you feel cautious about your Christianity, maybe you're afraid to witness. Maybe you're afraid to fail. I want you to do what Pete did and seek the word from him. Don't go to the back of the boat and take a nap. Not now. Now it's time for us all to be at the front and stand together the original here the word here is a simple word a simple word a single word and it has a sense of crispness to it an urgency a command peter said bid me come jesus answered come took that first step outside the boat And he walked on water. In a word, he encourages him and tells him to come. The Bible says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. These guys were weary. They were burdened with the whole storm and the whole circumstance. I will give you rest. Come. Pete got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. Third point, yes, keep paddling, keep listening, and keep calling. With the word from Jesus, Peter steps out. Wow, I think, what faith. That's amazing, Peter. You did the impossible. Jesus had said we could do mountains with just a faith the size of a mustard seed. Back when I was young, you know, a lot of young ladies wore a mustard seed necklace, just a pendant, a tiny mustard seed encased in some plastic that was probably overpriced and sold because it was popular. I don't know if they were exhibiting the same kind of faith or wanting to point to that or if it just looked cool, but they would wear this little mustard seed in glass or plastic around their neck. you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move over there. Now, don't expect to get a successful landscaping business doing that, but I would suggest that it's a metaphor. You can move the mountains in front of you with that kind of faith, and that's exactly what Peter did. He stepped on the water. We think, what a hero. Man, Pete, you did what nobody else could do. You did what I never would have thought I could ask to do. Great faith, Pete. Good job is what we think. But listen. Listen to what Jesus said. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Desperation time. Immediately, Jesus reached out and caught him. He reached out and caught him. You have little faith, he said. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did he? Well, Peter heard the wind. He worried about the water, and his fear engulfed his faith. The Bible says, faith is being sure of what you do not see. Peter saw the winds and the waves, and he took his eyes off Jesus. He looked away, and he slipped. Seconds after standing, he was sinking. He feared, and he fell, just like us. Yes, Pete had a strong faith. He could have walked all the way to Jesus' feet. He really had it last. Instead, his faith wasn't large. It was little. It wasn't lasting. It was limited, just like us. The name Peter means rock. I think it's interesting just to take a moment to sit back and watch that rock slipping into the water. It's a lesson in humility. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, If you are thinking you are standing strong, be careful that you do not fall. Aren't we always dependent upon God? And the answer is yes. As Peter slips into the depths, he calls out to the only person who can pull him out. And sometimes we get that sinking feeling. We're losing sight of Jesus in the midst of our storm. Maybe it's because we can't keep the commandments the way we want or the way we know we ought. We've done some things well, but sometimes it just seems things are out of control. Our real hope is in Peter's simple prayer. Keep calling that, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Faith is only as strong as the object is when it's, which is placed. There are two stools back there. They both look sturdy to me. But if one happened to be in a condition of repair and there was a major bolt pulled out of it right now looking for a replacement, and I walked back and sat on the one that was solid, that would be great. If I sat on the one that was not strong, I'd fall flat. Faith is only as strong as what you put it in. That's what you put it in. The object of our faith is not you. The object of our faith is not me. The object of our faith is not anyone else. It's not a minister. It's not an elder. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus responds to Peter's prayer. He reaches down and grabs the big fisherman underwater, going down, and pulls him out like a flopping fish. Then they both get in the boat. Hmm. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When we put our faith in Jesus and humbly repent before Him and turn over the control of our life to His Lordship, at our baptism, He puts us into the spiritual ship, and He will keep us in it. Whether you're walking on the waves or sitting in the boat today, listen to the words of Jesus, I am. Listen, by the cross we are saved, not from falling into the water, but from burning in a lake of fire. By the cross, we know that if we sink in sin, we can repent, and one day we, like him, will walk out of our tomb as well. And please don't make the mistake some people make. The issue is not how can I walk on water? The issue is how do I get safely to the other side? They all did the answer, how? It's Jesus. He gets you there. That's tranquility in troubled waters. That's peace in the storm. Remember that word certain in this series. Whether you're scared of the wind, the water's rising around you, remember Jesus got the disciples, all of the disciples across the lake safely. That's certain. It's what the old hymn calls victory in Jesus, and that's what's important. and That's certain. In your personal storm, keep pedaling, paddling, not pedaling, paddling, keep rowing, keep listening, and keep calling. Maybe if you listen closely, you'll hear through the word, Jesus is calling you now. Will you simply call to him, respond to him in obedient faith, and say, Lord, save me? He will. That's certain. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've called us. You've called us out to the water. You've sent us through a storm. You've promised you would never leave or forsake us. And we know for certain you'll get us safely to the other side. For those who need to hear the word, the call of Jesus to come to him for salvation or the next step in their faith journey, I pray that they will step out today, come down in front, and and meet with some people who care and will show and lead and love and pray and take them to the next step. Help us, Father, to be faithful. And in the troubled waters, help us to be certain Of your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.